What a thing it'll be to see it all devoted to God the way it was always intended to be. It'll be a beauty unlike anything we can really even imagine right now. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Yes, And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. Amy will not be with us. She is currently, I think, on the road home from a horse show. She took some horses down to, I believe, Oklahoma uh, to show them off. And from what I saw of the pictures she shared on Facebook, she did pretty good. She had... Quite a few blue ribbons there, so quite a haul. Yeah, we may have to talk to her about that a little bit when she comes back, and if she's cool with it, we'll we'll post some of her pictures up on the the uh, the, the, the the Facebook page there. And, but yeah, so Amy Amy is doing her own thing today. I get to do something pretty cool today that I don't think most parents get to say. I get to go flying with my son today. He uh, got his pilot. That's like teaching someone to drive a car times 300. That's terrifying. <laughs> I know. Are you going to fly with him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he I he only... The time I rode in the car with my oldest son. That's terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> well, so nice knowing you. Well, and the youngest the youngest is driving, you know, with a permit now, too. And, and that can be a little... It's like, you don't need to take those corners that fast. <laughs> you don't need to put the gas to the floor every time we get in the car <laughs> to, to to get up to 20 miles an hour on a residential street. Come on. <laughs> uh, um, can you watch your airspeed, please? <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's the funny thing. Okay, so so my oldest son, his name is Xander, and he's he, he went to a uh, school not too far from here, got his got. He, he 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 is now uh, uh, technically a commercial pilot. Uh, he doesn't have enough hours yet, though, to get a job anywhere. And so now that he's done with schooling, he's working with me in order to pay for airplane rentals. And then on the weekends, he goes and flies for a couple hours to try to build up hours so that he will then be marketable. Uh, and it's funny because he is uh, currently he's getting ready to turn 20 years old, but he's he is not legally able to rent a car, but he <laughs> he can rent an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so from me, when you guys are up in the air and he goes to bank right or left, go, oh my God, did you even use your turn signal? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then tell him that was from Karen. <laughs> that's hilarious that's funny oh uh, this will only be my second time being in a smaller plane and the first time was actually in a glider my wife got me several years ago for christmas she got me a glider flight and that was really really cool you know you get get pulled up by another one it was a two-seater glider which is kind of rare and oh. i guess the thing had at one point been used to fly missions in um in uh, uh vietnam and uh, had been had at one point been fitted with a with an engine to get it, you know, up in the air on its own. But then it would just would be able to glide, and that was that was really fun uh, being in that little in that little thing, and you know, looking up and seeing birds flying up over <laughs> top of us, and and uh, so it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see what it's like today because I've never I've never been in a smaller plane like this, and 
um, it'll be fun to see how, how well he's learned his, uh, his craft there. So anyway, exciting day for me. Uh, pray for me that um, I come back alive. <laughs> Feel free to deliver the blinker. <laughs> no joke. pressure. No pressure. Yeah. If, if there, yeah. If there's no more podcasts after this, you'll know why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, uh. All right, well, let's get into our topic for today. We are studying the book of Zechariah lately, and today we're going to be starting in chapter 12. Now, Zechariah has been a bit of an interesting read. Um, in a lot of ways, we were getting um, uh, a lot of uh, echoes of uh, Ezekiel and very strange visions. Last week, we had a bunch of visions that were, they, they really seem to be pointing specifically to to Christ and his ministry um, by pointing out things of the priesthood and the rebuilding of the temple um, and Jerusalem after, after Judah had been carried away to Babylon and now are coming back and beginning to rebuild. And so as we get into chapter 12 then this week, uh, it's, it's, it's more of the continuation of the same. There's a, uh, Zechariah has has been in vision for a while, and I think maybe well yeah I think Reese and we mm-hmm, we had wondered if this was one big long vision or a series of visions over time. As we we get into it, we are like I say continuing that from those visions that were depicting kind of Jesus's ministry to now uh, getting into some visions that seem to be a little bit more specifically depicted towards Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And it begins with this interesting, kind of a cool description of God, where it talks about how he stretches out the heavens. He lays the foundation of the earth. He forms the spirit of man within him. I mean, if that's not a description of a God, I don't know what is. I love that. I was just like, oh... Yeah, yeah, rather, rather poetic, um, and very much, um, and in a, in a simple way, really, kind of just depicting the greatness of God, who He is. Because you know, anybody who stands outside at night and looks up in the stars, and even if you're in a city and you're looking up in the stars and having them washed out by by light pollution, you, there's just a vastness that is overwhelming when you when you uh, look up there and thinking that you know if you're a believer and seeing that there is a god in charge of all of that uh it's uh yeah i don't even really know how to describe it it's just um makes you feel pretty small but then it also makes you feel pretty special to be included in his in his thoughts and and his purposes so there's a, whenever I, so I used to live in Alaska and the, you know, you talk about a lot of sky, <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. of nature. And the, one of the interesting things about Alaska is that the areas that are not town are basically nothing. Mm. Like it's nothing but wild. If it, if you're not in a town, you're nowhere. And you, everywhere you look, it's just mother nature, mother nature, mother nature, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And one of the things that I used to think looking at that was that it was simultaneously reassuring because if God can handle all that, surely he can handle little old me. Right. Mm. And, and yet the, 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 the flip side of that, that I struggled with was feeling 
um, so small that I might be insignificant. Like surely God has bigger things to do than to pay attention to little old me. And so it was, I always kind of found it, you know, I was always in awe. And like you said, like, oh my goodness, I get to be part of this. Like I'm part of God's creation. And yet yep. at the same time, I struggled to feel significant. That makes sense. I always, I always think about it as, you know, I don't know how many of the, our millions and millions of listeners have swam in the ocean, but it's, it's when you get in the ocean and you realize that there is miles and miles of things below you and you get that kind of empty, say like queasy feeling, but the little like movement in your stomach, in the pit of your stomach that it's, I'm so minute in this big vastness of everything. But I think like Karen was saying, it's like, it almost lends you to be, say, you know what? But God still sees me. Even though as small as I am and everything that's going on around me and the vastness of the universe or what have you, the stars in the sky or, you know, the depth of the water, he still sees me and he still cares about me. And I think that's where the awesome awesomeness comes into it, that, you know, he wants that relationship with you. Yeah, it's it's an overwhelming thought. It's um, it it's uh, when you take the time to contemplate it. Personally, I find it very hard to disbelieve when I look out into all of that vastness and think that here we are on this one little speck. And, you know, if you if you know any of the science at all and you don't have to know much, but you just know a little bit about just the positioning of the planet, you know, in our solar system and the tilt of our planet, all the little nuances of things that make it so that life can be be here. You're just like that is that is way too much to be coincidence and uh and and it's just baffling and not baffling overwhelming i guess is probably the word to use just, just to think of how how much is out there and you know the the contemplation of ever being able to explore any of it, it it's just a fascinating thought it's hard to it's hard it's hard to pull yourself away from from just getting sucked deep deep down into some of that stuff you know, I was, I was, when we were reading, I was, we were coming out of Zechariah 11 and, you know, it was, it was giving the, the, the warnings of, of being foolish shepherds or bad leaders. And, but then it also made me think back of just, you know, the journey we've taken so far and for it to once again, another, if then, mm. you know, and I see it that, you know, once again, if you, if you don't follow me, this is what you'll see. But you know, I always look back and, you know, as you go through 12, he goes back and references David and how he was blessed. And, you know, that reassuring kind of promise that he had with with David and how he's going to lift up Israel and Jerusalem. And it's once again, if you follow me, this is the blessings that you'll get. This mm -hmm. is what I can do for you. This is how far my hands stretch. And it's like, you know, it, it just like we've said over and over, it's so hard to 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 contemplate that, you know what? Sometimes it still wasn't enough and mm. it repeatedly had to be done over and over again. Yeah. And and and, and you know, you talk about the if then. And also, I think we were mentioning this some uh, last time where and we've talked about it several times where these visions, they have an immediate meeting meaning for the people right then 
And like you're saying, Tracy, if you follow me, this could be what happens. And I think also, at least I was getting a real sense, too, of this will be this is going to be sort of indicative of how the end time situations will happen and how spiritual Jerusalem will eventually get built up and be led by King Jesus and be an unconquerable force. Because it goes, that's what it starts to go into is talking about how it's going to be, uh, you know, I mean, it uses the words kind of, uh, it's going to be very difficult, maybe even impossible to conquer Jerusalem at some point. And some of that uh, seems to depend on the context of the prophecy. But are you, you know, are we talking about something right now or are we talking about something in the future? And I think the answer is a bit of both. That yes, if the people would follow God properly, maybe we would have seen Jerusalem be a force to be reckoned with. But instead, I think we kind of just saw that they existed. They sort of rebuilt, but they they never really seemed to have the independence anymore that they once did. I mean, I think they make it fairly well through the Greek Empire, but then once Rome comes in, they get occupied. And and, uh, and I mean, I guess Israel is it is a I mean, these days it's it's a notable force in the world, but I don't think that it is necessarily one that is very uh, as influential, maybe like as power or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're kind of they're they're. I think they're kind of known to have a good military force. Uh, I know that a, a lot of the Christian world tries to support them in a political fashion and whatnot, but it's there. There's definitely not this definite concept that that's the place where god is that's the place where where uh you know it's like our center of morality or anything like that it's uh they're just they're there everybody's aware of them you know the whole area is just right these days is just kind of a an area of uh conflict so uncertainty uncertainty yeah so it's definitely not what we end up reading about here it, it feels very different than what what I'm reading as we go through here. I'm with you on the possibility that this is an if then prophecy for immediate times. I after reading through all three of these chapters 12 13 14 I ended up thinking that it was talking more about spiritual Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Because of um, several things in it. So if you go to Galatians 4, there's this passage. It starts in verse 21 and it goes through verse 31. And it, and well, actually, it goes through like the first verse of um, chapter 5. And it's basically comparing the spiritual generations of Hagar and Sarah. And it's saying, just as Hagar bore a child of the flesh, Sarah bore a child of promise. And if you want to be part of the children of promise, right? Like that's us. Anybody who buys into the belief in Christ and chooses to follow him and chooses to be part of that kingdom is of the line of Sarah. Following in the, and, that, and that's basically what it talks about. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, the law, right? And bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. 
Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Right? Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. What does spirit say? What, or sorry, what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. All right. So he's basically comparing the immediate earthly Jerusalem with a more figurative Jerusalem, you know, what they would call Zion of freedom. Anyway, after reading those three chapters in Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, I was I went and, and I did some digging like in concordance and online sermons about the topic and stuff like that, just because I couldn't I couldn't make it work with earth if that makes sense yeah it's absolutely. like it was talking about uh spiritual jerusalem and its power to withstand all of the attacks against it yeah that's yeah 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 same thing I'm, I'm reading this going i don't recognize this i don't recognize any of this so this must it could be, be an if then it could be an if then mm-hmm. that never came to fruition but. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of the way I took it. It's like this, this could be you. I'm going to give you a picture. Uh, this could be you, uh, but at the same time, this is going to be a. And I think it's largely allegorical. I don't think we're supposed to take a lot of this uh, literally, but it's uh, an allegorical picture of what the new Jerusalem or or spiritual Jerusalem. Maybe that'd be the better way to put it. The spiritual Jerusalem. Uh, will how will eventually attain because it starts talking about how the surrounding people are going to be uh, devoured, but Jerusalem will remain. Um, talks about how the feeble will be like David; they'll be warriors. The house of David will be um, like God, like the angel of the Lord. And I, you know, I, I'm seeing this this largely as being promised that. We all eventually are going to make it through. We get it, you know. We get attacked. We get stuff from every side. If you try to stand up for, for, for God and real Christian principles, uh, stand up for, you know, stand up for Jesus, stand up for Christ. Um, there will be people who are against you. I think largely they're misled and misguided. They they think that you're standing up for something other than what you are these days. But those. Those attacks do come, and I don't think we see them as hard here in Western culture as other parts of the world do. But but there is definitely an opposition that's out there, uh, and I think all of this is some promise that that there will come a time when um, those that opposition will be completely thwarted. Uh, it goes into talking about mourning for the pierced one, or at least that was the title of the second half of chapter 12 in my Bible. Um, it says, they will look on me whom they pierced as one mourns for his only son, for a firstborn. That felt very, uh, pr- pretty obvious who we're talking about. Very messianic, very much talking about Jesus and 
you know, being the firstborn and being the one pierced. Yep. And, you know, the, again, these some of these texts are ones that I look, I read them, and it just makes me wonder why modern, the modern-day Jewish uh, 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 community doesn't look at texts like that and understand or realize that Jesus fits that picture so well. Um, it's very interesting to me. It's uh, just very interesting. So very much talking about Jesus through all of this, though. As we move into chapter 13, then, it seems like something that has been a thorn in the side of Israel ever since they first, well, even probably before, but specifically ever since they moved into the promised land of idolatry and uh, false worship. It, it's made very clear in no uncertain terms that idolatry, unclean spirits, and false prophecy are going to be cut off. And in fact, when you, I think if I remember right, verse 3 makes it pretty clear. I mean, this is like with some malice and uh, some violence even. It, it's, it's, God has never been wishy-washy about his his position on these things of worshiping other things that don't need to be worshiped or shouldn't be because verse three, it says it shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord and his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies again, like this, these are the kind of things that make me think allegorical for, for, um, you know, spiritual Israel, but where where the idolatry had just continued to creep up, creep up, creep up, take over, always be in in uh, in place, creating what's the word I'm looking for compromises with the true religion that God was trying to set up, and finally that is done. No more. There's only one God. You're going to worship Him. You are not going to worship that thing that you 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 carved half of it and burnt the other half to cook your dinner on. Right. That's not you know that is not absolutely will not happen anymore. People right. who are following the true God will not stand for that anymore, and uh, it's just it just won't be. Well, just, to the point to the point where. If a parent, right, so the, the comparison that it draws is the people won't stand for it anymore to the point where even a father and mother will say to their own child, you need to not do that anymore. Yeah. You will not do that anymore, right? So that's, so, so like even within the family, like even those relationships and that love will not override what the correction, the purification that God is calling for. Yeah, and also to the point where uh, the false prophets, they'll be reluctant to even reveal themselves <laughs> as prophets anymore. Oh, well, I that, that was so funny. Yeah, read it. Okay, so so basically what, what we're getting at is it starts in verse 2. It says, on that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. Okay. So now down to verse four. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision. They will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. Each will say, I am not a prophet. I'm a farmer. 
the land has been my livelihood since my youth. <laughs> and, and if someone asks, what are these wounds on your body? Because it's talking about even parents being willing to basically smite their own children if their if their children are part of this right and and if someone asks what are these wounds on your body they will answer the wounds i was given at the house of my friends mm-hmm. like no 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 i'm a farmer i'm a farmer i don't <laughs> need to do that no, i've been a farmer since my youth yeah yeah well and and s- go ahead no prophesying here <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's some of that that I was I was reading on because I've heard I've heard that part about these are the wounds I received at the house of my friends. I've heard that verse kind of referred in a messianic way yeah, as if too. we're as if this is, uh, you know, Jesus speaking. I think that's grossly taken out of context, though, because this is clearly talking about false prophets and these marks on their bodies, either those marks, which, like you pointed out, Karen, could be from. People who have been uh, beating them for their for their false prophecy or potentially I was reading that some of this could be um, marks that they had made on their own bodies as uh, prophets of like Baal and and such. And so when people see these marks on them, they're like, oh, no, 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 this was, uh, you know, I uh, I uh, I fell down at my friend's house or something like that. You know, Uh, but they do not want to at this point, they do not want to be. Uh, owning up to any of that uh, that uh, prophecy, that false prophecy that they had been had been making. Do you guys remember that text that says, "If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it mm. out. Mm-hmm. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Yep. It is better to enter heaven maimed than to not enter heaven." Mm-hmm. Like that to me is what's happening here. It's 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 a recall to righteousness, and like look what you have look what you have tolerated. We were talking about this before we started recording. Actually, sorry, you guys missed a great conversation. Um, <laughs> we were we were talking about this before we started recording about how sometimes you know society in in the spirit of acceptance, which eh, acceptance of other people is not a bad thing gets a little bit carried away with what we accept. And um, and next thing you know, we accept far too much and then it's normalized and then and then pretty soon society's way off track. So if you if you think about that in terms of this, at some point, if you do that step by step acceptance, there has to be a major course correction. This is God calling it out right here. And if you think back, now we already studied through Jeremiah, but the last couple of verses of Jeremiah 5 always stick in my head when I read about this type of corruption that sort of seeps into an area. Um, Verses 30 and 31 of chapter 5 of Jeremiah says, A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it that way but what will you do in the end, right? And that's what that is. And so if we think back over over the course of God's people, he's trying to guide humanity into living, fully living out his will so that the, so that the unconverted societies around them can see how it's supposed to be. And they keep falling down on the job because they keep getting distracted by the other societies around them. And they keep 
accepting and integrating and compromising and becoming diluted until he has to do, until God loses his temper basically and has to do a major course correction. Like, stop guys, stop, do it this way. How many times do I have to tell you? I've been patient and patient and patient and I've called to your hearts and I've called to your hearts and I've called to your hearts some more and your hearts aren't listening. Your hearts just want to be filled up with what they want. You're not hearing me, your creator, who actually knows what's best. Yes, and so this is talking about when the people finally, it seems, have finally gotten the message and they will not stand for that sort of thing anymore. I mean, for this generation. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, but I think if this is, I, if this is talking about, if this is talking about New Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, then uh, enough for, I don't know. Have we really talked much about New Jerusalem? I wonder if our listeners would know what we're talking about, where when, you know, you get into Revelation and there's talk of the new city and the new, um, you know, when everything is renewed, um, I think that's kind of what we're talking about with, with here. But, uh, but uh, you know, but also, you know, a spiritual... A spiritual Jerusalem as well. If you're if you're really part of it, you're not going to you're not going to stand for that compromise anymore, and you're not going to uh, uh, allow that sort of stuff to to creep in. Now, uh, do you guys remember chapter eleven? We were talking about bad shepherds. In fact, I, Tracy, I think you alluded to it a little bit towards the beginning of the of the. Mm-hmm episode today the bad shepherds who had been leading the people astray well here it gives us a bit of a contrast talking about a shepherd's savior sounds like more more like a good shepherd uh, again i think we're, this is messianic i think it's i don't think this is so much end times but it's certainly i think future for the time period of what we're talking about here but it talks about how a sh- the sheep will be scattered when the shepherd is struck and most of them will be scattered and a minority. It says a third. I don't think necessarily when the Bible talks about a third, it's necessarily talking about uh, an exact third. More, it's talking about less than half. But certainly a minority will remain and they will be refined. And it says God will call them his people. They will call him their Lord. So uh, the way I took this, and you guys can jump in on this if you would like, but the way I took this is that this this is talking about Jesus' crucifixion where, you know, he was struck. And we do know that even at the time, at, right at his crucifixion, even his own apostles, they all scattered. You know, they eventually came back together. I would imagine, you know, we talk about 12 apostles. Jesus had many, many disciples. And, you know, you don't you only have to read about things like the Sermon on the Mount and the feeding of the 4,000 to know that there were a lot of people who were probably following Jesus and listening to his teachings and how how strongly did they continue to to follow him after he you know ended up being crucified i would suspect that a large large number of them uh just dispersed um uh, gave it up but some held on and now we have a christian church that's spans the world and hundreds of denominations and you know all kinds of different flavors for it so what um the the group 
the group of people, wasn't it like 120 people that were waiting? Like he had said when he when he went back to heaven, he said, wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Wait until that happens, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought there was about 120 of them in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. Remember that? And then for, and that small group went out and started preaching and basically mm-hmm. set the world on fire. So that's... That's a lot. I mean, that right there tells you God does not require the majority in order to get work done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I guess from that aspect, it it's a bit encouraging to me when you consider if you anybody who's been a part of a church family. If you haven't had conflict within your church family. I would be very, very surprised. Uh, Right in, tell us about it because we'd love to hear <laughs> the. <laughs> we'd I, love to. I would go so far as to say, if you haven't had conflict in your church family, you might not be paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of forgot where I was going. With that so, uh, go ahead, Karen. <laughs> um. Well, no, because I th- I think maybe you were going to talk about it being a min a minority few that can oh. really. Yes, yes, yeah, that really was the point uh, that, um, it, you know, it does seem like there is always that was something else we were talking about before we recorded, but um, there is always a minority few that does the majority of the work within a church and, and don't feel terribly discouraged if you find yourself feeling like you're you're working and spinning your wheels and not getting much response from uh from the majority because like Karen was saying it's not it's generally not going to not only does God not necessarily need the majority but it's pretty rare that he's going I think that he's going to have the majority until we get to this new Jerusalem stuff we've been talking about you know I mean even remember the time when um who was it he had the 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 army that he kept making smaller and smaller and smaller oh, yeah, until Gideon. The, yeah Gideon. right Gideon yep. you know and I was thinking the exact same thing sometimes majority is it takes away from the glory of God so mm-hmm. I need to reduce those numbers just to those those chosen few mm-hmm. yeah in our weakness his strength is made evident yes, yes. so yeah. this this section here where where it talks about let's see verse nine verse nine so it's talking about uh, two thirds will be struck down and perish. One third will be left. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. That reminds me of two things in the book of Revelation, where in the in the church of Laodicea, the people of God are, you know, I am rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. And they do not know that they are poor and blind and wretched and naked, right? And he says to that church, I encourage you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, mm-hmm. right? And this is talking about God, a godly character, right? So um, a few weeks ago, I heard a story about the refinement process, and it was from the point of view of somebody who refined gold in the old-fashioned way. So they put it in a little cup, you know, like they do, and they put it out over the fire and they let it melt down. And then as the, as it melts down, the dross boils out of it, right? The stuff that you don't want, all the impurities boil out and the gold is left cleaner and cleaner. And so after a while, the, you know, the pure, the person who's working on it would take it out of the fire 
and they would look, you know, they would look at it and then they would add more fuel and then they would put it back in and they would let it go through the whole process again. And so the, the people who were watching him said, you know, what are you looking for? You know, you pull it out, you look at it, and then you make a decision as to whether or not to put it back in the fire. What are you looking for? And he says, I'm waiting for it to be so pure that I can see my face in it. Mm. Right. And that's, mm. you know, that, that, that story was specifically told to illustrate God's process of purifying us. And when he's done, we will reflect him. Right. I thought that was a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, I remembered that again when I read this verse here about the third that remains, he will put them into the fire, refine them, and test them. Yeah. So it's okay to be in the minority. It's good to be in the minority, I guess, um, because the masses are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I'm I'm also not entirely sure that being in the minority guarantees that you're right. So let's just no. throw that little caveat out there. That's, that's true. That's true. But when it, I guess, though, just knowing that if you are following, if you are following God, if you are following his ways, you are probably going to find yourself in the minority and you are probably going to find yourself with opposition and you are probably going to find yourself with some difficulties. But you're going to understand you are being refined. You are being purified. You are being you are having the, those impurities pulled out. I also think, and again, we were talking about this before we started recording. <laughs> mm. I also think that the world in general shifts so that if a, if a person who believes in Christ stays true to that and follows God's purification, they, they will stand out like a sore thumb. Like all they have to do is stand firm. And as the world shifts, they will show up in a different place on the spectrum until they stick out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. And what does Revelation call it? A peculiar people? Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the world at a full roar and you staying over here in your little narrow lane doing God's, God's bidding and letting him purify you until he can see his face in you. Yeah, you'll be peculiar. Yeah. You know, I think it's too, like what you said, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the world at a full roar when God is always offering you peace in the storm. And maybe that's what does make you that peculiar people is that you do have that peace. You know, not saying that it's hard, not hard to have, but I think those oppositions are going to come up. And that's the, that's the thing is just knowing these promises and, and, and studying your Bible and kind of relying on those promises. Yeah. Finding the still calls, still small voice through the storm, remembering that God's voice isn't in the storm. God's voice was the still small one that was heard after when you let the things settle and, uh, and, and we're able to take that time to listen. And yet at the same time, keep in mind that as the world ramps up towards its final things, the world will get louder, but God will get louder too. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're promised that everything under heaven that can be shaken will be shaken. Yeah. Everything that everything that isn't built on God will be shaken to its foundations. And and its purity or lack thereof will be made clear for everyone who's looking. And so 
God's going to get loud and he does win. But in general, he is he operates at a more quiet, you know, persistent level. Um, I have in the past, in fact, prayed when I was trying to make a tough decision and I wasn't hearing God's input. I would pray for him to talk to me using a two by four is actually what I prayed. Please use a two by four. I'm not hearing. If there's a still small voice, I'm not hearing it. I need a two by four. I've made similar prayers too. I've said, I've just flat out said, God, make it obvious to me. Please please don't flatter my intelligence. Please treat me as if I'm a toddler that you're having to shout at. Just do it. Just raise your voice and tell me what I'm supposed to do because I'm not hearing it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, make it obvious to me because because I'm not seeing it right now. I don't know what you want from me right now. I'm, <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, there's a lot going on. And generally speaking, I think he's always kind of let you know. I think he will. All righty. Um, so then as we move into chapter 14 then, this felt very, very much end times to me. Uh, a lot of it felt to me like a version of a final battle that I have I have heard about. And sometimes you have to kind of glean it from different parts of Scripture. And I think other parts of it are, are like really spelled out in like Revelation and stuff. We tar- start talking about nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily talking about a final battle because, you know, the, 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 the story as I have come to understand it over time, and I'm sure you guys too, is eventually, you know, Jesus comes, takes the righteous away uh, to go to be, um, I guess, in heaven for, uh, and when I talk heaven, I'm talking actually physically in a place where Jesus and the angels reside. And that might blow some people's minds thinking of of it as a physical place. But, uh, you know, we are taken physically away from the planet. That's the point. Um, Not the point I'm trying to make right now, but gone for a thousand years, but then come back in a actual city that comes down onto the planet. And um, at at some point, then the 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 evil, (laughs) the evil dead. That sounds like a that sounds like a Sam Raimi film. Um, um, Squirrel, sorry. Uh, but but the evil ones then will be raised again and will rise up against that new Jerusalem with some concept. You know, Satan will be like, hey, look, we can take them. And and it's quickly taken care of. I don't know if we're talking about that or if we're just talking about how spiritual Israel, as we grow closer to God, will be it will be withstanding the outside forces that much more because as nations gather against jerusalem if we talk if we're talking about a spiritual jerusalem we can see how all of that majority around us tries to rise up yet the remnant see we use that word remnant the people who stick with it the people who stick to christ and and stick with what he wants it says they shall not be cut off from the city It says God will fight and he'll stand on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split. It'll create a valley and the remnant will flee through that valley. And so there's there's imagery of there of stuff that I've that I understand of of uh, of end times things, things like 
Jesus coming back to the Mount of Olives, right? Um, things like a rising up. And, you know, so I, I don't know how literal of stuff we're talking about here or if it's more spiritual or if like all of this, it's just a big wash that we're supposed to gain a general understanding of the situation from. I guess my impression was that like we're definitely talking about the end of time as we know it. Right. We're definitely talking about the second coming because that blurb about splitting the mountain and you will flee through it and whatever it says, then the Lord, my God will come and all the holy ones with him on that day. There will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord with no distinction between day and night. When the evening comes, there will be light. Right. Mm -hmm. So it to me. Oh, and then in verse nine, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Like to me, we're obviously talking about the second coming here, mm -hmm. but, and we don't know the details of what that's going to look like, but, but basically what I got out of this, a day of the Lord is coming when Jerusalem will be plundered. And whether that means that Jerusalem will become corrupted or whether God will simply remove his protection from it. I'm not sure what all that means, but Jerusalem stops being discussed as in, I will hold you safe and all the nations around you will try to hurt you and they can't, right? Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden, Jerusalem gets plundered, but God provides a way of escape for the people in Jerusalem. Once again, it's like we're, we've seen in the past, it's okay, this could happen. Or this is what's going to happen. It's going to be bad, but still, there's there's hope. Mm -hmm. Still in control. Yeah, it's always interesting how when God, you know, in Scripture, he, just a lot of times, he, he, over and over and over again, it's like it keeps telling you, it's not going to be easy for you. It's not going to be easy for you. It's not going to be easy for you. But there will be hope. There will be a way through. You will eventually prevail. It may not be in this lifetime. <laughs> it may be it may, it may be that that some of us fall. And when I say fall, I mean, well, you know, I mean, some people are martyred. I mean, literally, you know, literally, literally martyred. But those people still prevail in the end. And, and so holding to that hope, holding to that hope that doing the right thing, following God, sticking close to him maintaining that relationship with him if you do that even as the world rises against you just know you are on the right side you will prevail eventually and and um and, and be victorious there are some there were some things there interesting though you were talking about that day with no light um uh, that sounds interesting i'm curious what what that really means. I mean, I, I've heard of, and I've, I've never really taken the time to study it myself. I've, you guys probably have too, but I've heard of a day, literally a day when there was no, no light. I don't, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember the oh, specific. So like the opposite. So there's no light instead of. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happened. Like literally happened. I mean, you hear stories about like the, the chickens going going to sleep in the middle of the day because there was no light. Um, and it, but, yeah, this this isn't talking about the the dark day. This is talking about okay. 
There is neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord. And remember, and so what that reminded me of is how it says that in heaven, there's in the holy city, in the holy Jerusalem, there is no night there because right. God's presence is its light. That's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually we will talk. I think we'll probably end up talking about that. That dark day. I, I just was kind of trying to decide if that was what we were, you know, this was an allusion to it here. Maybe not. But the 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 takeaway from the story, you know, it talks about living waters flowing from Jerusalem. That's been an imagery that we've seen before. The Lord being king over all the earth. We've talked about that before. And the, the people will live in Jerusalem with no more destruction. You know, Jerusalem, they just at this point when this prophecy is being given it's that's like that's all they've that's probably all a lot of these people have known uh, about Jerusalem because a lot of them you know coming there now they didn't they didn't live there unless they were there as children um but all they've known is that Jerusalem was attacked and destroyed and 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 now it's talking about how that's not going to be a thing anymore verse 12 was some disturbing imagery oh yeah right oof Yep. Where it talks about a plague, a plague, which says the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. And it talks about how their flesh and their eyes and their tongue will dissolve in their sockets, in their sockets. Yeah, well, they stand there in their mouth. <laughs> y- yeah, um, I. So gross. Yeah, it sounds really gross. I don't. I don't know that this is any kind of a literal plague. I have a tendency to think this is probably more allegorical. Um, I was reading that a lot of the ways that people would treat their enemies uh, in that time would be literally to flay their flesh, pull out their eyes and cut out their tongues. And so this is more like God saying that's going to happen to you. uh, Maybe not in that literal same sense, but understand that you're, these people who have been fighting against Jerusalem, they're going to be subject to this in some fashion. Like I said, that I remind you of the plagues of Revelation. Well, elaborate. I mean, those well, specific seven, ones don't. Yeah, I mean, the seven final plagues is you know sores that won't heal, mm-hmm. and the last. I mean, when you when you start working your way through the plagues, you find out. You get to plague, I can't remember what it is, you get to plague like five. I guess the plagues, the final plagues all happen pretty rapidly. Because when you get to like, I think it's plague five, it talks about the people who are still gnawing their tongues for pain because of the sores that won't heal. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's still going on. And I just, yeah, yeah, the whole thing struck me as, well, first of all, it's gross. But it specifically (laughs) says, this is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. So to me, again, I think we're talking about spiritual Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. so The people who have persecuted, the people who have persecuted God's, the people who are trying to live right and trying to do God's will are not going to have a good time. When it comes judgment time, they're not going to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the next part of that, Verse 13, it talks about how they will, how it says the men will seize each other's hands and attack each other. I think, say that again. Neighbors. Yeah, neighbors, you know, people who were probably thought they were friends, uh, who thought they were on the same side. Um, 
and starting to attack each other. And I think, I think we see a little bit of that now when you see, I think we see a lot of it in um, some of the political realms. When you see the political and entertainment realm specifically, but when you see uh, a set of morals that I have a thought in my brain and it's going to come out, I swear it. <laughs> I'm not sure it is at this point. <laughs> I just try to figure out how to put it into words. I have started to see people of a particular moral bent starting to gnaw at each other when when things are going one way and then somebody tries to tries to step outside of of that just a little bit and and every and they attack i think tracy described this one time like uh crabs in a bucket when you have all these crabs in a bucket and some of them try to pull crawl out and the others pull them back in you know they don't want them to get out of there and um it's it, it, it it's like there's this narrow line that some are trying to follow and if somebody's diverts out of that a little bit they attack you know and and you start to see in some ways you start to see people eating each other that have been um trying to push trying to push a morality on the world and and it's like it has to be theirs or nothing and uh uh, I think we're seeing some of that where where there's there's, there's this infighting going on on that's some... unacceptable even if it's God's morality. Yeah, that's the first one to teach freedom of choice. So maybe we should too. Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's just it's. I don't know. <laughs> I have examples that I could put out there, but I I don't I don't want. <laughs> I, I don't that's the problem is that I don't want to get super controversial and I'm sure people can read between the lines and know some what I'm talking about but, well but, I think uh, it's a broad enough topic honestly and it's so, yeah it's so something that human nature is prone to I don't think that they need your examples to think of one no probably not probably There's not a lot of them out there yeah yeah well and you know what I mean it's when I talk say it's politics it's the whole political spectrum it's everywhere you know and it's it's uh it's any spectrum upon which humans can take one side and glare across the middle ground at the other side and point their finger. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I honestly, I personally think that we're starting to see some of that happen even now. Uh, now, the part of it that I wasn't clear on, though, was that plague against the, the animals. Yeah, what's wrong with the animals? Poor animals. They didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't completely, totally clear on why the animals get involved with this. But every, you know, anytime you had a city that was bad enough that God felt it needed to be wiped out, it was even the animals that would get wiped out. Um, In this case, it would if it's a if it's a a ravening horde of soldiers, right? Then. Horses, donkeys, camels, right? Those become your vehicles of war in that era. Mm -hmm. I know a, a herd of approaching donkeys doesn't seem very threatening. <laughs> That's where right. I went. Wagging their tails, long ears flopping. Yeah, no, it's not a vicious sight, but that is still how people transported themselves in those days. So that was, as, I mean, other than that, I'm like, oh, poor animals. Oh. No, that's what I looked at because when we had studied in the past, it was, you know, especially Egypt was one that they really went 
went um, superior on their chariots and their horses and that kind of thing. And it's a way that they they built a lot of um, oh confidence in themselves and not needing God or being opposed to God based on their military might with those kind of animals. I, I, I agree with Karen. Um, I didn't see the donkeys as being a huge one, but um, <laughs> I think that's where they put a lot of their, their confidence in their military might was in those animals. Like you guys yeah. think about, think about how camels look when they walk, like, like <laughs> just imagine an approaching, you know, 10,000 enemy soldiers on slow galumping camels. <laughs> Alexander did it with elephants. Danger. Yeah. Danger. Well, They're going to be here. We can see them. They're coming over the horizon. They're going to be here in like a week. Everyone get ready. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, you're talking about the elephants, Tracy. I, I, you know, seeing a horde of elephants come at you fitted for war, that to me would be rather terrifying. And so <laughs> slow. Like, honestly, war on one elephant would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Got time to get out of the way. These are not fast creatures. <laughs> no, but you're also not going to stop them. No. You know. So, but um, so so yeah. I mean, I I guess that was sort of the way I was looking at it too. Is either military might or um, you know, those animals are also used a lot for commerce. They're used a lot for just transportation. Um, you know, I guess in a lot of ways you could just think of it as our our cars and planes and war vehicles and stuff like that, you know, every all these things that they just sort of represent our, our, um, our mobility, I guess. The way that this summarizes, right? So verse like 16 through the end, mm -hmm. boy, this is, this was kind of hard for me to swallow. So, okay, verse 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord God Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. If any of the people do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord God Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. I had trouble with that. Like, what happened to worship me of your own free choice, of your own free will, right? And then, but I did like verse 20. So verse 20, I did like it says, on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses. Mm -hmm. Bells on their horses, but whatever. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all those who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. I like the way that ends because it means that everything that everyone does is to the Lord. I like that part. Yeah. The other part seems really heavy handed for God. This is one of those places where I, as because I'm same with you there. I was thinking, huh, that's very interesting that it sounds forceful. And I had to, I was really considering, is this a place where we take this literally, or is this again, more of an allegorical situation? Sure. Because if you, we think of Egypt is often put out as being that force that was. The secular, yeah, the secular force. The secular force. It was preventing Israel from being able to live the life that God had intended for them. 
you know, of course, going all the way back to the Exodus times. Um, and then if you put some of some of the prophetic meaning into things like they won't have any rain. Well, anybody who stands up against this Jerusalem, whether it's I mean, the spiritual Jerusalem, they are they are not going to be receiving inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Yep. As we talk about, you know, pouring out of the latter rain, we're talking about a pouring out of the Holy Spirit on God's believing people. And so if we if we see Egypt continuing to be a, a an opposition, this to me is just like saying they are not going to get inspiration. They are not going to receive the Holy Spirit. They're just not going to be a, a factor anymore. So if we put all of this into spiritual terms, it sounds like this. God is going to strike his enemies with a plague. And those who, anyone who has fought against his people will be the victim of this, including their accoutrements of wealth and power. All the gold and silver will be confiscated and the mechanisms by which they act will be taken down as well. And then from then on, this will be such a clear showing of God's power that from then on, most people will do everything they do in worship of the Lord, including the basic secular activities of their life. Mm -hmm. And those who don't will not receive the Holy Spirit. Did I summarize that correctly? That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. If um, you just take the whole thing and make it a spiritual allegory. Mm hmm. And, you know, I mean, you said most people and, I, you know, honestly, I think it's probably more everybody who's left because because really when it talks about. You know, these other these other countries, they're um, everybody who isn't worshiping is going to be, you know, this other part. It's sort of like verses where when it's talking about heaven and it talks about how men will live, you know, anybody who dies at 100 years old will be considered young. Well, right. You know, we we understand there's not going to be death in heaven. There's not going to be death in the new earth. And so it's allegorically just saying 100 years is nothing, you know. And so here, too, when I think it's taught, I think, at least to me, when it's talking about anybody who isn't coming to worship God at that point is going to be in this other category. That's basically it's more. I think the more important takeaway from it is that last part where all of the even common things will be considered uh, will be treated and considered as holy. That's kind of the way I was taking that, not as a specific uh, literal uh, uh, words against against like a people that are going to be remaining and not worshiping God because that just really doesn't doesn't make sense into the the scheme of uh, of uh, spiritual and new Jerusalem stuff at least not to me now that holiness to the Lord though that's interesting because we've heard that we've seen that phrase we've seen it engraved before and that's way back in Exodus 28 if you remember this was a it was engraved on a plate that went on the turban of Aaron and it said holiness to the Lord. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. On on that that plate. So it's interesting to me that it's that same thing engraved on a engraved on a plate. Here it's engraved on the bells 
on the horses. Who puts bells on their horses? Honestly, this is dumb. Like, who does this? I don't know. We'll have to ask Amy. They want to know. Maybe they want to know they're coming. People who know they're coming. I've had horses. I've never once put a bell on them. (laughs) I don't know. Have you ever put a bell on a horse? Right in. I've had a horse. Jordy there. But this holiness, because the purpose of that being put on Aaron was specifically so that he could that he could minister. Uh, it was it was like a I don't know, I guess a sort of a badge of sorts. And so it's interesting to me that we're putting it on the horses. Well, OK, so if the animals yeah. are taken down before. So if the animals represent the human ways to get things done and they are taken down by plagues as well. Now, in the aftermath of that, even the horses are labeled as for God. Yeah. Horses, that's what I was getting at. Even the most secular aspects of human life are now done for God. And if you think about what Paul said, I can't remember, was it the Colossians? Eh. Well, at some point he's saying, whatever role you fill on earth, do it as if you're serving God. Even if you're a servant, Work as if your master is God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. kind of that idea. I think that, yeah, that actually really fits well, I think, because, because yeah, before it was like this special setting apart of Aaron and the priesthood. And now it's like, even the horses are going to be consecrated to God. I like that a lot. That's a, it's a very, it's kind of a fascinating thought when you think it through and you think of all the implications of what that would mean. For everything in your society now is consecrated. It's holy. Everything serves God. Everything serves his purposes. That, uh, man, what a what a different world that'll be, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I wow. got to say, along those lines, I'm still looking forward to seeing meat-eating animals like lions and wolves with grass teeth. <laughs> Very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, that will be interesting to see what that is like. So if you ever come to find me in heaven and I'm lying beside my pet panther, feeding it handfuls of grass and laughing hysterically, I'm just <laughs> watching its teeth at work. <laughs> now, now I'm picturing uh, a, a, like a, a lion chewing its cud. <laughs> 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 if you've ever watched cows, I mean, you know, here where we are, it's a we're surrounded by pretty, yeah, pretty fairly agricultural area, lots of cattle and stuff. And you watch cows standing around chewing cud, and their jaws just working. They'll go a couple ways one way, and they'll come around, and they'll chew the other direction. And they just sit there okay. and do that all over. So, I just just thinking of a of a lion sitting there chewing cud. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Just think they're going to look hilarious without the meat teeth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, on that, I, this is how Zechariah ends, though. And I like, I really like the way it ended with this vision of a completely different world, a completely different way of thinking of the way the world works than what we know right now. And this, uh, this whole different way of seeing how how everything is going to work out and how everything is going to be handled and this entire civilization completely devoted and dedicated to God. The people, the animals, 
all of the most basic implements, everything is devoted to God. And I don't know if we can really even imagine what that'll be like, what that would look like, because, you know, we know what we know, and all we know is a sinful world, and the the, the most common things can be used for the most common and debased purposes. Well, and, and as points of disagreement, I mean, the body of Christ here, we can disagree about anything and get like all shades of head up and ready to do battle. And it's like, really, that's that's where you want to put your spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. Like you want to you want to take aim at your fellow brothers and sisters instead of getting busy. These are your comrades. These are your these are your fellow men at arms. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. We live in an ugly world right now in ugly times. There's a lot of beauty here, but there's still a lot of ugliness, too. What a thing it'll be to see it all devoted to God the way it was always intended to be. It'll be a beauty unlike anything we can really even imagine right now. That's the hope. Yeah, that's the hope. All right. Final thoughts on Zechariah. I have no thoughts. Um, Zechariah exhausted me for thoughts. (laughs) <laughs> Zechariah, Zechariah took us a lot longer than any of us thought it would to get through. I mean, I'm, I think Zechariah is considered a minor prophet. Am I, yeah. am I right in that? And we, we boy, do. we got a lot out of Zechariah. Of course, minor doesn't mean lesser. It just means smaller, I guess. But, um, but um, really deep stuff in this book. But with that, we will be leaving Zechariah. Now, next week, I'm excited about this. I'm sure you guys are going to be, too. I don't even, We're going to get into Esther next week. Esther is a fascinating story. Heck, yeah. Yep. Uh, we'll be in there for, oh, probably two or three weeks, maybe more. We'll see how that how that rolls. But um, you want me to dig out my Apocrypha? <laughs> well, we did well, talk about there's, that. There's extra chapters is all. That could be interesting. Um, So where the book of Esther leaves off, the apocryphal book of Esther keeps going. Yeah, so so maybe we'll do that. We'll go through it and then we'll be very specific of of uh, of letting everybody know that, okay, now we're 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 delving outside of that, because I do have a copy of the apocrypha around somewhere, too. I'd have to if there isn't too much, maybe I can just read it or something. Yeah, I I don't know how much there is. Yeah, it might be it might be interesting might be interesting but anyway book of esther very very uh i think well yeah well we'll start with chapter one uh maybe one through five and uh, we'll see how see how that goes um so start reading the book of esther and while you're reading that and waiting for us remember that you can reach out to us at attb podcast at the remember you can look us up on facebook Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.